0: Good morning. So, uh, just a little heads up on this passage this morning. Um, This is uh, Hebrews chapter 7, and I've had two, not one, two, one of them's in the room, preachers say, I would not touch that chapter in the pulpit with a 10 foot pole. So, I am either really crazy or brilliant, and I think it's the first one. Um, uh, So, there, it's very mysterious, this person that is um, compared to Jesus. Uh, his name is Melchizedek. And there's only three times in Scripture that we hear anything about Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14, Psalm 110, Hebrews, well, Hebrews 5 and 7, 5 is just pointing toward 7. So we know very little about him except what this Author of Hebrew says, in order to hear it in a way that that isn't just confusing, like, oh my goodness, how long is this chapter going to be? I got to give you a little bit of background. Um, I will not. I'm going to do my best not to tell you things you don't need to know. However, I do want to tell. If you want to go down this rabbit hole, and it is deep. If you're a note taker, but you don't have uh, you don't have hundreds of dollars to spend on theological books, I'm just going to give you two resources. One, YouTube, a guy named Mike Winger. Uh, You just look type in Mike Winger and then Melchizedek, and you've got about an hour and ten minute and hour and ten minute video slash podcast. He does a really nice job. he doesn't get to all of it, but a really nice job. And if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, three hours and ten or fifteen minutes worth. Uh, there's a guy named Dr. Michael Heiser who recently passed away. Um, it's called the Naked Bible Podcast. Type in Naked Bible Podcast Melchizedek, and choose all. Th- there's three. It's a three-part series. It, whew, but if you want to, if you want to, if you if you need something to help you go to sleep. It'll help. Don't listen to it in the car because you might, you might. Um, So I've been down this rabbit hole uh, for about a month now and am excited and terrified of what we're going to do today. So I'm going to offer a prayer, ask God to focus for your sake and mine. Uh, I'm going to give you the background I think you need, and then we'll read the passage. And the point of the passage isn't Melchizedek, it's Jesus. And so we're going to end on what is the author telling us about our high priest, who is high priest forever. So let's pray together. Lord, you, you are God, and I certainly am not. And reading this and learning this and seeing how you, how you craft everything together, how you've been working since the beginning of history to point us always toward Jesus, the things you put in the scripture, the things you leave out of the scripture, the things that we get to wonder about and the things that, that you tell us implicitly. Lord, speak to us implicitly today, creating us a wonder, an excitement, and an acknowledgement that we, we just don't know all that you do. So Lord, this is meant to be your message for us, not my message for them. So please, Lord, your words, not mine. Stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, speak with my mouth so that your people hear only what you want them to hear, they see only what you want them to see, and they receive only what you want them to receive. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our high priest forever, amen. Okay, so first things first, there's a, there's a segment of theological study, actually literary study, but theological in particular, that, that is hard to translate to us, and that is what's known as typology. Typology. Um, So, if I were to say to you that professional fishermen are a type of athlete, you'd go, nah, but when when we think of type, we think of kind, we think of it, 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 like there's, you've got soccer players, football players, tennis players, professional fishermen, um, but we put them in a category, and so it falls under this umbrella. Literarily speaking and biblically speaking, that is not what a type is. So I'll give you an example. Um, if the projectionist is ready, would you put the map of ancient Israel up on the screen for me? There it is. That is a topological, not typological, a typ- topological map of Israel in the, in the, in the Bible times. So you get a pretty good idea, and you can understand, if you were to visit Israel, you can kind of understand, if you study that map, where you are, what elevation you're at, what, what's to the east, what's to the west, what's to the north, what's to the, to, the, to the south. So it is a picture of Israel, but it is not Israel. Agreed? Agreed? It is a picture, it's an indicator, it's a, even a precursor, like if you're gonna go and you wanna study that map, it gives you some, some, some understanding before you get there. But in order to really understand Israel, you have to be there, you have to live there, and then you can look back in this map and there's more there than you saw to begin with. Typology is similar. That's a topographical map of Israel, but it is a type of Israel. it it represents Israel, but it isn't Israel. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He's not Christ, but he points toward Christ. And once you know Christ, you can look back and understand better who Melchizedek was and how it is that he points to Christ. But before Christ, this idea of Melchizedek started to rise up so you've got the, the two temples. You've got the first temple, that's Solomon's temple, that was destroyed uh, by Nebuchadnezzar when, they, when they, they took all the Israelites to, to, into captivity in Babylon. And then they came, when they got out after 72 years, um, through the, the, the era of Nehemiah, they rebuilt the temple and... Um, that was known, it is known historically as Herod's temple. It wasn't Herod's temple, but it's the temple that was there when, when Herod was king and Jesus was walking the earth. That's the second temple. Now, there's 400 years between Malachi and, the, and, and Jesus showing up where God is silent. But that doesn't mean that people weren't thinking about God, reading the scriptures, contemplating, theolo- theologi- theologizing philosophizing. And so what began to rise up in this intertestamental period, this second temple Judaism, are a couple of weird, strange thoughts. One, they started to realize that there are two powers in the Old Testament, like a a, a Yahweh God, and then like a lesser Yahweh, a God or a presence of God. So think of the angel of the Lord, or in Joshua, when, when Joshua goes out and he meets the commander of the Lord's army. Think of Michael showing up in the book of Daniel. Think of, uh, of, of the one who's called the prince of heaven, another who's called the prince of earth, but that's, that's, that's not a good one. Um, and so all of these figures, people start going, well, who is this? And there's this mysterious character, Melchizedek, who, who the scripture says that the, in, in Psalm 110 that the Messiah will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek and he will be a priest forever. Well, he has to be divine then. And so, they started putting this together, this prince of, uh, the, the commander of the Lord's army, uh, Michael, the, the prince of angels, the, 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 the prince of heaven, which is not Michael, and they started conflating Melchizedek with that as well. So, The reason to tell you that is this, we don't necessarily need to understand all of that but two things are important. One, the author of Hebrews understood it, and he knew the people that he was writing to knew all of that thinking. So, he used a type that they had been thinking about already in order to point them back to Jesus. Because remember, they were Christians, and they started drifting back to the old ways, the ways of, of the priesthood, the ways of the, the sacrificial system in the of the Old Testament. So, all those things are going on in the mind of those who are reading this letter or hearing this sermon for the first time, the sermon that is Hebrews. Now, <laughs> another piece. I just think this is cool. How God, the, if, you're, if, you're, if you're weaving, there's the warp and the woof. I don't know which is which, but how God orchestrates the warp and the woof of history to all point toward the same thing. You've heard before that, that where Abraham offered up Isaac Mount Moriah is the same, uh, mountain as, uh, that was owned by a rune. There was a threshing floor of a, uni- a ruin rune of the Jebusite where David who sinned against the Lord by counting David's, the Lord's people. And he, and the angel of death comes and it's awful. And David stands up and says, and I paraphrase, Lord, it's my sin, not theirs. Take me, not them. That's the same place where Jesus was crucified where the lord did not withhold his son his only son whom he loved and where the lord basically said on the cross and i paraphrase again father take me it's their sin not mine you know where the other place where that particular spot shows up genesis chapter 14 when melchizedek blesses abraham salem jeru salem same place so, God begins this process of blessing Abraham and his offspring in the same place several times throughout Scripture, and then Jesus, the Christ, suffers and dies on that very same place. So, I'm going to read, and I, I thought about doing this in the King James Version, just because it, it sounds beautiful, but I don't understand any of it. You'll, you'll understand here in a minute. All right, here we go. This Melchizedek was the king of Salem, a priest of most high God. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. That's, That's Melchizedek, king righteous. Then also, because he's the king of Salem, king of Salem, which means king of peace. You start seeing how the author of Hebrews is pointing toward Jesus, the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of man, or like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Okay, I gotta pause right there. We don't know, Now, we, 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 this is this mysterious character. There's no record of his mother and father, there's no record recorded in scripture of his genealogy, where he came from, yet he's a priest of most high God before there were priests of most high God. And because he had no predecessor and because he had no successor, his priesthood never ended. Now there's way more, but that's the point the author is making. Because the, oh, that was the other thing I would need, uh, background I needed to give you. When you hear Lev, Levi or Levitical priesthood or Aaron, all means the same thing. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They were the 12 tribes. One of them was Levi. When, when, when God appointed the priesthood uh, through Moses, he picked Levi's line, all priests must come from Levi, from his, from his line, okay? So Aaron is a descendant of Levi. That'll all show up in here. <laughs> but there was only one priest of Most High God that ever came because God said he was, he was priest, not because he came from a different line of descendants. And that's what the author's going to next. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires that descendants of Levi, who become priests, uh, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though they their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi. In fact, he was way ahead of Levi. Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises, meaning that Abraham was the one who was carrying the promises of God. And without doubt, the lesser person blessed is blessed by the greater. In the one case, The tenth is collected by men who die. That's the Levitical priesthood. But in the other case, that's the Melchizedekian case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects a tenth, paid a tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Not going to touch that one. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of priesthood, there must also be a change of the law." He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears one who has become a priest not on the basis of, the, of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. It is declared, and this is, this is quoting Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And the former regulation is set aside because he, it, it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God And it is not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. I'm going to pause there just for, just for a second. I encourage you to go back and read Psalm 110. If you want to read uh, Genesis 14, 17 through 20, feel free. But Psalm 110 is a messianic Psalm. And David says in there, the Lord Yahweh says to my Lord, the Lord says to my Lord. He, he sees in some prophetic way, the divinity of the Messiah who is to come. So, if David is the king and through his line, the king, the priest, all of it, if all of that comes from him, why would he say of someone who is his, in his downline, my Lord? It, it, what God has done from the beginning until now has not changed. You can look back and see Jesus in just about everything. In fact, the book of Hebrews is so full of of typology, it is almost unthinkable. It certainly shows us that there's no way this all happened by chance. Now, there have been many of those priests, meaning the Levitical priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save Completely. That's where we're going to go back to in a minute. Therefore, he was able to, to to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy. Blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Now, one more little piece. You hear the, the author here saying, you know, the line of Judah. You know, Jesus is, is in the line of Ju- Ju- Judas. He came as the sacrificial lamb. He'll return as the lion of Judah. And no priests. Have Moses never said anything about priests coming from the line of Judah. It's interesting that, that the, the, the author quotes or talks about Moses not saying anything. Remember when I prayed that, it, Lord, it's really cool what you put in Scripture and what you leave out. See, God's intent, and I'm I'm just a little, this isn't Sputton, just a little speculation here. God's intent has always been that the leader of God's people be the priest. If you think back to Moses, so Melchizedek is a priest and a king, right? you think back to Moses. Remember when God is saying, now I will give you words. You go tell them what I say. And he's like, I am slow of tongue. No, I will. I'll make it good. I'll make it good. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And and, no, I'm not going to do it. So Moses does not believe God enough to trust that God will give him the words to say. And so God relents and says, okay, bring Aaron. But God's intent was that Moses... Would be both priest and leader, and because the priesthood was w- w- came about, God knew it was gonna. But because it came about, um, and then it got corrupt, the people of God after the corruption of the priesthood, they cried out and said, "Give me a king." And God's like, "You don't want a king? Everybody else has a king. We want a king. You don't want a king? This is what's going to happen if you have a king. We want a king." And so God relents. He gives them a king. It works out okay at first. Then it starts to go terribly. But God's, God, God had the master plan because he is the master of the universe. Adam was the steward of, of, of the creation. He was the king. And he had a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with the God of the universe. He's a priest. And just as Paul makes Adam and Jesus, Adam is a type not a kind, but a type of Christ. And Paul equates just as Adam because through one man all died, through one man all are made alive. Adam was the person, he was the son of man, the first son of man. I'm not saying he was divine, but he had a relationship with the divine. He heard directly from God. Jesus is the second Adam. He made right as the son of man. He made right everything that the first son got wrong. Melchizedek, we have very little information on him. Did he live forever? I mean, in the rabbit hole, some people say it, that the second person of the Trinity lived in human form for an adulthood, so that everybody knew, um, and he was the king. I, 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 I don't, I don't know. That would mess up my Christology big time, but I don't know. Some would argue that God left out the parts of, of Melchizedek, no genealogy, no mother, father, no record of his death, so that Melchizedek and the thinking that developed over time would point to Jesus. And the thinking that developed over time, they started thinking, maybe he's divine. And the author of Hebrews says, no, 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 no. But Jesus is. That's the point of the author the author of Hebrews is trying to make. That's the point that this sermon, his sermon, that the whole book of Hebrews is a lengthy. Read it all the way through and tell me if you get upset if I go for 25 minutes. Because that was a sermon. But I want to go back to just two verses and spend the rest of our time there. This is verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests the Levitical ones since death prevented them from continuing in office but because Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him for them Think of everything in your life that's temporary Actually, your life is temporary. My life is temporary. And we live in a disposable age. Some products are manufactured with planned obsolescence so that over time, I mean, even, even LED light bulbs that are supposed to last for 10 to 20,000 hours, now they're, they're writing code into them so that they only last for a certain amount of time because otherwise the light bulb companies go out of business. Everything is temporary. Everything, even the priests were temporary. The high priest was temporary. Everything was temporary. The law was temporary. You know what isn't temporary? Your Lord, Savior, Prophet, Priest, King, Jesus. He has always existed as the second person of the Trinity. And when he was incarnate in about uh, 3 BC, between 3 BC and 3 AD, when he he came into, into human form, when he was God with a body... He's still the same son. He's still the word of God. He's still the one who gave us, who revealed to us the scriptures. He's still the one that left out certain things about Melchizedek so that it would point toward him. It's, he's the one that, that revealed some of this to David when he wrote Psalm 110. He's the divine one that David's speaking of, even though my Lord's, the Lord said to my Lord, and then in, in the author of Hebrews, he's the one, the, 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 the spirit of the living God is the one who, who gave the author of, of Hebrews the idea to Melchizedek as this mysterious figure that people think might be divine. Show them, show them how it points to Jesus, the one who's divine, who has a permanent priesthood, who's always interceding. Do you understand what it means that he's always interceding for you? And that he is able to save completely those who come close to God through him. There is nothing that can separate you from the love, the will, the desire, the hope, the promises of God. And God has never broken one of his promises. He's never made a mistake. And no matter what the world looks like today, the God of the universe still lives. And the Savior of humanity still lives. And no matter how bad it gets, he is crying out to the Father on your behalf. And he's sending his spirit to cry out on God's behalf to you, be Assured your God is good, your God is able, your God is eternal, and your God is always looking out for his people, of which I pray you are one. Let's pray. Lord, it has been a month of terror. I pray that that if there's anything that came out of my mouth that is not of you, that number one, you convict me of it so that I do not speak it to the next two services, but that you wipe it from your people's memory so that they only remember the things of you. Lord, today, as we contemplate the mystery, not of Melchizedek, but of Jesus, our prophet, our priest, and our king forever. Remind us that the one who's always interceding for us forever will never relent. And there is nothing that can separate us from him, no matter the circumstances. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our high priest forever. Amen.